you all awake? All right. Love is a strange and wonderful thing, isn't it? Speaking of that, today is Tim and Janine's 18th anniversary. Is that cool? You know, did they tell, they, they probably told you the same thing they told Andrea and, and me when we got married. It'll never last. You know, here we are. So, you know, 52 years, 18, it's all good. So we've been in this series called Love Does. Love is a very popular topic. You have to notice this in our culture, don't you? How many poems are written about love? Songs written about love? You know, TV shows about love? Movies about love? Any, any of you fans of the Hallmark Channel? The same love story every time, just with new faces, right? It starts, it's, it's, love is a strange and wonderful thing. We're fascinated with love. And so we've been in this series, Love Does. And I, I was looking online this week for some great quotes about love. And uh, the artist Picasso said this, Love is the greatest refreshment in life. I kind of like that. Um, Mahatma Gandhi said, Where there is love, there is life. And uh, a German philosopher uh, named Leibniz said, To love is to place your happiness in the happiness of another. But what I love the most is young children's understanding of love. And so uh, Natalie, age nine, says, don't say you love somebody and then change your mind. Love, love isn't like picking what kind of pizza you want. Um, and then uh, Jessica, age eight, says, you shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. And then this is the classic one, and I can't believe this comes from a six-year-old named Nikki. And she said, if you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend that you hate. Isn't that good? And so, sadly, I think, for most of us, our understanding of love is shaped more by Hollywood than by the Scriptures. Our understanding of what love is all about is the result of what Hollywood's producers and directors and celebrity stars portray as love, rather than what the God who created us, who is the author of love, right? What he has to say about it. And so we've been in this series, Love Does. 
hoping to understand maybe a little bit better God's love for us, but also wanting to understand how we should be loving each other. And so Pastor Oscar started our series off, and we've wandered in and out of several portions of Scripture. Uh, In John 13, we spent a few moments in verses 34 and 35, and that passage says, if I can remember it correctly, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. That's the importance and the power of love. And then we spent some time as he walked us through 1 John chapter 4, where the Apostle John says, Beloved, let us love one another. He who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. And so we spent some time in that passage, and uh, we spent some time in those scriptures. And of course, 1 Corinthians 13 is the classic chapter about love, and we want to come back to that that passage this morning. In 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul is addressing an important topic to the Corinthian church. And there is no more difficult church in the New Testament than the Corinthian church. Maybe the Galatians are a close second. But the Corinthians, as we read Paul's letters to them, demonstrate division, schisms, uh, competition, Uh, They're taking each other to court. They're tolerating sin in the church. Uh, The way they interact with each other, even around the communion table, dishonors God. Uh, This is the church that's a mess. And more than anything else, what do they need? They need to learn to love. And so that's why we have this great passage in in 1 Corinthians 13 where where Paul says, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels but don't have love, I'm just a noisy gong clanging symbol. I'm just making an annoying noise. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy, I know all mysteries, all knowledge. I have all faith, even to remove mountains, but I don't have love. I am nothing. He even says, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, I choose to be a martyr for the cause, but I don't have love. It profits me nothing. And then he describes for us what love is like. Love is patient. Love is kind. He says it's not jealous, doesn't brag, it's not arrogant, doesn't act unbecomingly. Some translations say it's not rude, doesn't seek its own, it's not provoked, doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. But it does rejoice in unrighteousness, rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love, what? Never fails. And so we've been walking through these passages seeking to understand God's love for us and our love for each other. And this passage in 1 Corinthians 13 has often been a puzzle to me as I've reflected on it, meditated on it. And I've been called a grammar Nazi, so I kind of pay attention to grammar and verbs and nouns and adjectives. And you, of course, went through third grade and you all know the difference between nouns and adjectives and verbs, right? Somebody say, "Uh uh-huh, there you go. Um, But you notice Paul's description of love begins, love is what? Patient and kind. Those two words are not verbs. They are nouns. But interestingly enough, if you remember your third grade English, their predicate nouns 
which turns them into adjectives. And so Paul is using the words patience and kindness. Don't look at me like that, Ron. Come on, give me a little break here. So these two words describe what love is like. And as I've reflected on this passage, I see patience and kindness as the umbrella over all these other actions. If you have patience and kindness in the way you interact and treat others, I tell couples on their wedding day, uh, you're going to have a great life together if you can live every day with each other with patience and kindness. Because it's out of those two qualifiers, those adjectives then, that Paul says, this is what love doesn't do. It's not arrogant, doesn't seek its own way, doesn't hold grudges, take into account wrongs and all those things. And so because love is patient and kind, it doesn't act this way. What does it do? It bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so this, this whole passage is fascinating to me. And last week, uh, Pastor Oscar talked to us about love is patient. And if you're like me, you sat here and you found yourself thinking about the week before and the times when you did not show patience to your wife, to your kids, to one of your friends. And I sat here during that whole message thinking about one of my friends, one of my fellow bike riders, and just saying, Lord, I need to learn to be more patient. And so logically it follows, if last Sunday we talked about love is, or yeah, love is patient, this week logically we should be talking about love is kind. I tried to avoid this message all week. Actually, longer than that, because I knew this was coming. This is a message I didn't want to talk about. I have had people tell me, your wife is the kindest person I know. I have never... You're laughing already. You know where I'm going with this. <laughs> I have never, in 72 plus years, had anyone say to me, Roy, you're the kindest person I know. That's never happened. And I doubt it ever will. And so, this idea of being kind uh, is fascinating to me. And I, I wanted to avoid this. I, I, I just, I had all kinds of other ideas. And then... I saw this sign on the side of the road where I ride my bike. And I rode by this sign that Dave's going to put up here in a minute. I rode by this sign every day that I was on my bike. And I kept seeing this sign. Make America kind again. And my first thought was, oh, there's another Trump hater, you know. And as I continued writing by this sign, it struck me, you know, we really do live in a world that's not very kind. And, and maybe there's another agenda besides the Trump hater here, I don't know. Um, but we, we're living at a time where people just are not very kind. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of hostility. There's just a bunch of stuff. We, we're not known right now. For being kind. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if somehow 
America could be made to be kind again. And then, last Saturday, I was at uh, a little birthday party that uh, Sandy threw for Dave. And one of our young ladies was wearing a t-shirt that caught my eye. And uh, Riley's t-shirt said, there it is, being kind is my kind of thing. Now, I'll bet money Riley did not buy that t-shirt. Either mom or grandma did, right? You don't know! (laughs) Okay, somebody gave Riley that t-shirt. And I was sitting... uh, and looking at Riley and seeing this T-shirt, and I, I just found myself thinking, so, so Lord, am I supposed to talk about kindness? Is that what's, is that what's going on here? Um, I'll be honest with you. I, I sometimes struggle to be kind. I'm kind of wired to respond to life with sarcasm and humor. I speak a second language. I don't know if you all know this. I'm bilingual. I speak English and sarcasm. And... Um, you would be very pleased if you knew how much I controlled myself. And so this whole idea of kindness, and I just decided, okay, Lord, I'm going to open my Bible, and I'm going to start in Genesis and go through Revelation, and I'm going to look for every single verse that talks about kind and kindness. It's a painful journey. It's a painful journey. And so this, this morning what I want to do is I want to give you three big ideas, and then we want to take a peek into the life of King David, into a great story about kindness. Do you have a working definition, by the way, of the word kind? What it means to be kind? Kindness has to do with me or you choosing to speak or act. For another's benefit or happiness. I'm kind when I speak and act for your benefit, your happiness, rather than my own. Kindness. And so last week, Pastor Oscar said, patience is passive. It receives what someone does. Uh, someone does something that's annoying. That person cuts you off on the freeway. Somebody says something or behaves in a manner that's not very kind, and you receive it. You don't react. Patience is, patience is internal. Patience is passive. It takes. Now, the contrast is kindness, because kindness is active. It happens externally. It doesn't happen in here. It happens externally. It's active. And so patience, patience is when the guy cuts you off on the freeway and you calmly and quietly just accept that. Re- Don't look at me like that, Ed. I know you, can, you find this hard. I do too. We're in the same boat here. So patience is I calmly, quietly accept this reality that this is how people behave on the freeways in Southern California. Kindness causes me to slow down and back away and give that person my space, grace them with my space. Patience is when your husband interrupts you telling a story and continues the story. Patience is... Quietly, calmly accepting the reality that 
this happens. Kindness is saying to your husband, oh, you go ahead and tell the story, honey. You know it better than I do. Patience is standing in line at Duncan. You think this is all imaginary stuff. I'm making all this up. This is Roy's life. So patience is standing in line at Dunkin' Donuts. And all you want is your vanilla cream donut and one small black coffee. And the guy in front of you is ordering three boxes, a dozen and a half donuts in each box, Tim. Is that what's in those things? Those big honking boxes? So he's ordering three dozen donuts, one at a time. And he can't make up his mind whether he wants the vanilla cream or the... Yeah, just like that, vet. Just, and, oh, and he keeps changing his mind. And all you want is a vanilla cream donut and a small black coffee. And this guy in line is getting three dozen donuts. So patience is calmly enjoying the show while the person serving him is trying to deal with this indecisive... 36 dozen or 36 donuts. And all you want is your vanilla cream and your small black coffee. Patience. Kindness is when you finally get to the front of the counter, you say to the young man who has just filled those three boxes, it's an amazing day at Dunkin' Donuts when you can sell a customer three dozen donuts, huh? I just want my vanilla cream and a small black coffee. Patience is standing in line at the grocery store with your basket of your week's supply of food for your family. And the woman in line behind you has one item. And you see that some of you have done this, I can tell. And so the woman in line behind you has one item. And you notice her one item and you're pondering. And you glance over at the quick check line. One person in line at the quick check line. (laughs) And this woman behind you has chosen to get in line with three or four other people. Huh. So patience is... (laughs) It's interesting. (laughs) Not sure what's going on. Kindness is what? Letting her go in front of you. And then patience is when she gets her single item up to the cashier... And the cashier rings it up and gives her a total. And now she's looking for her credit card that she can't find. And she's digging in her purse, pulling things out, trying to find her credit card. She finally finds her credit card, Tom, hands it to the cashier and then says, Oh, could you get me a bag of ice, too? That's where kindness is done. Love is patient. Love is kind. And so three things I want you to understand about this thing of kindness in the Bible. The first is that kindness is the very character and nature of our God. Secondly, kindness is the command of our God. And then thirdly, kindness is the condition of for blessing by our God. And so I want to learn to love others with God's love 
that demonstrates that I prioritize the other person's needs and happiness over my own. Say that again. Love is kindness demonstrated by my prioritizing your needs and your happiness over my own. So first of all, I want you to see this, that our God in His very nature is kind. Now, if I had asked you 20 minutes ago, complete this sentence for me. God is. You would have said God is love. God is... You wouldn't have said kind 20 minutes ago, trust me. You would have said God is patient. God is holy. God is just. God is omnipotent. God is good. And the thing that struck me as I was reflecting on this this week is... We have a God who is eminently kind. He prioritizes my needs. He prioritizes my happiness. And I don't think a week ago I would have said what I'm saying right now. God is kind. And so... I just got several scriptures I want to read, and I just want you to listen. A couple of them I'm going to ask you to turn to and, and, and read with me. So in Psalm 145:17, the psalmist says, "The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His deeds." We have a God who is kind. In, in Luke chapter six, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says in this long list, you know, the Beatitudes and all of that. In verse 35, he says this, and it kind of reminds me of that little six-year-old girl, Nikki, and her comment about love is, you know, start with the person you hate. Jesus says in verse 35, Luke 6, Love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great And you will be sons of the Most High. You'll be marked out as children, sons of the Most High. Why? For, or because, He Himself is kind to the ungrateful and evil men. We have a God who is kind, even to ungrateful and evil men. Men. <laughs> and when I learn to love the way that he loves, Jesus defines it as loving my enemies. When I learn to love as God loves, I demonstrate that I'm like my father. I'm like my father. Have you ever had anyone say to you, you are just like your mother? Or just like your father? Some of the way some of you reacted when I asked that made it sound like that was a bad thing. Uh, (laughs) I remember well, now we're going back 40 years in my life, um, when I was on the pastoral staff of our church in Long Beach. Um... Some of you who've been on the campus there, I was standing on the porch 
of the chapel, looking toward the sanctuary. And I was talking to some of the young servicemen who were attending our church uh, from the servicemen center downtown. And we were engaged in conversation on, on this porch area, looking out over the, the space. And as I was talking to them, I saw my father walking across the courtyard. And I raised my arm and waved and said, Hi, Dad! And these servicemen all went like this. And my father carried the mail at the servicemen center. They all knew my dad, but they didn't know my dad and I were related. And when they turned back around, they said, We should have known. You're just like your dad. And that's what Jesus is saying here. When I love my enemies, when I have kindness even to people who are ungrateful and evil, I'm just like my Father, my Father in heaven. We have a God who is kind. Oh, Titus, chapter 3, Paul says to Titus, When the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. It was the kindness of God that saved us. It was the kindness of God that brought us into His family. Are you grateful this morning? We have a God who's kind. We have a God who's so kind. Any of you ever get a double-double in In-N-Out? Tell me I'm the only double-double eater, me and, me and Tim. Okay, there we go. So, have you ever looked on your wrapper? What Bible reference is on the wrapper of your double-double? No, 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 no. You've got to pay close attention. The cup has one verse. The french fries have one verse. The double-double says Nahum 1-7. And you go, Nahum 1-7, that's a random verse. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knows those who take refuge in Him. And what's fascinating to me about that verse is that the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, when those 70 Greek scholars translated that verse into Greek, they used the word kind where the word good appears. The Lord is kind, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knows those who take refuge in Him. We have a God whose very nature and character is marked with kindness, prioritizing that which matters to me, prioritizing my salvation, prioritizing my coming to faith. Why? Because He is kind. Are you grateful this morning that we have a kind God? I want you just to take a minute, close your eyes, and just tell the Lord how grateful you are for His kindness, that in kindness He loved you, he drew you to himself. He saved you. <laughs> Lord, thank you. Thank you for being a kind, kind God.
So not only is kindness the very character and nature of God, but then God commands us multiple times in the Bible to be kind. Can you think of any verses in the Bible where it says as a command, be kind? There you go. So where, where's that verse? Uh, where's that verse found? Oh, I know you are. I know you are. So Ephesians 4.32. Come on. How many of you parents taught this verse to your children when they were just barely past learning to talk? Be kind to one another, forgiving each other, just as God for Christ's sake forgave you. Be kind. I remember teaching that to our children. We, we had several verses that we taught to our children when they were very young. That was one of them. Um, our daughter is four years older than our son, so there's that little bit of that, that age gap. And uh, we had some challenges with that whole kindness thing. And I'm sure none of you did with your kids. It was just my wife and I. But, uh, you know, we, we, had a, we had several verses. That was on our list of verses we wanted our, our kids to learn. But there's other passages that uh, talk about uh, kindness and uh, command us to be kind. So, for example, um, two passages in the Old Testament where, where God is calling his rebellious people back to himself. He's calling his people to return, return, return. They've disobeyed him. They've wandered off. Um, And so in Zechariah 7, verse 9, Thus has the Lord of hosts said, Dispense true justice and practice kindness and compassion each to his brother. It's fascinating to me in this passage and the next one I'm going to read, that as God is calling people back to Himself to return, to obey Him, walk with Him, follow Him, in that context of calling people back to Himself, He gives the command to do what? Be kind to each other. Practice kindness, Zechariah says. And then uh, in Micah 6, verses 6 to 8, With what shall I come to the Lord? And bow myself before the God on high. Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Are those good things? Yeah. Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And here's the answer. He has told you, old man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do what? Justice and love, kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And so the one passage, the Zechariah passage says, practice kindness, do kindness, behave with kindness. The Micah passage says, love kindness. Do we value and love kindness? Practice kindness, love kindness. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14, he says, As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, 
bearing with one another, forgiving each other. And so Paul, to the Colossian church, is calling them to put on these qualities, compassion, kindness. Just like you would put on clothes when you get dressed in the morning. Put on these qualities. And what God wants me, and He wants you to do every morning, is to put on kindness. Where I'm prioritizing the needs and happiness of others over myself. Kindness. Why does God have to command us to be kind? Because it's not the normal, natural way I'm wired. Maybe you're wired differently than me. Maybe you came, you, you were, the day you were born, you were kind. But I doubt it. I seriously doubt it. And we can learn to be kind. We learn to be kind because we have good role models. Uh, people who tell me, your wife is the kindest person I know. I understand that in the context of her family of origin, the parents who raised her. I understand that. Uh, her family of origin was different than mine. I'm not naturally drawn to put prioritize other people's needs and happiness over my own. I'm kind of naturally wired hoping other people will prioritize my happiness, right? Come on. Doesn't always work that way. Seldom works that way, in fact. And so God commands us, be kind. Be kind. And then there's this odd passage in Proverbs chapter 3. And... Many of us have memorized verses 5 and 6. If you were to ask me, you know, my two or three most favorite verses in all the Bible, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 would be in my top three. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, be knowing Him, and He will direct your paths. But if you back up a couple of verses in Proverbs you find these words of wisdom. Where's Proverbs? It's right after Psalms. It's still there. There it is. Thanks, Ed. I needed that help. So in, in the opening verses of Proverbs 3, My son, don't forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Now pay attention. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So, the result of doing that is what? You will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Don't let kindness depart. Whatever you do, hang on to kindness. Wrap it around your neck. Wear it close. Paul says, put on kindness. Proverbs says, wear it around your neck. And if kindness is a part of how I'm living my life, Proverbs says, I'm going to have favor with God and favor with men. 
And women too, right? I'm going to have favor. So my kindness becomes a condition of God's blessing and favor. How important is kindness? You know, wow. And so in, in, all, the, in all the portions of Scripture, there's this story in the life of King David. I'd like you to turn here in your Bible. Second Samuel chapter 9. So David has become king. King Saul and his son Jonathan have both been killed. David is setting his kingdom up. He's assigning uh, positions of authority and responsibility with different men in his kingdom. Uh, The previous chapter, chapter 8, summarizes some of David's military victories, some of his conquests. You'll find the word defeated, I think, four times in chapter 8. And so as chapter 9 opens, I get the sense that everything's in place. The kingdom is established. Everything is cool. And David says, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul, Saul's family? Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Because of his friendship with Jonathan, because of his respect for Jonathan, he's asking the question, are there any other family members, any other of Saul's and Jonathan's family that I can show kindness to? He doesn't know. Three or four chapters earlier, uh, one of Saul's other sons has been killed. Two men killed him, cut off his head and brought it to David, thinking that would please David. David had them killed. And so David is wondering, is there, is there anybody left in Saul's family that because of my friendship with Jonathan that I can show kindness? And now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they, they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not yet anyone in the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Notice he qualifies kindness now, not just kindness, and the kindness of God. And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. Now, if we went back to chapter 4, we would discover the account where this young son was dropped by a nurse and was, as a result, is crippled in both feet. That becomes, I think, an important part of the story. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, behold, he's in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, isn't that a great name, Mephibosheth? I recommend that, your next grandchild or, you know, whatever. Um, What an awesome name. Um, Wow. And so Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. Now, if you were the grandson of King Saul, the son of Jonathan, the previous king, Saul, and the previous heir apparent to the throne who would logically follow Saul, and now you are the son of that apparent heir in the line, 
What is your expectation when you get summoned by King David? Life's over. You know, this is the pattern. When you ascend to the throne, you eliminate the competition. You have all of the progeny, all the descendants, that whole family wiped out. And so here's Mephibosheth brought to King David. And in my mind, I'm thinking, this is where he is. He's on his face. He prostrates himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, here is your servant. And David said to him, do not fear. Why did David say, do not fear? This guy's terrified. Do not fear. (laughs) For I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Again, he prostrated himself and said, What is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? And the king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I've given to your master's grandson. And so here's Mephibosheth. And he comes to David, fearing for his life, expecting the worst. And David says, I'm going to give to you all the land that was previously in the possession of your grandfather. And I want you to come and eat regularly at my table. Kindness. Kindness. And so, as I look at the story, I say, the kindness that David showed to Mephibosheth was intentional. This wasn't a last-minute, spontaneous, impulsive thing that David did. It was intentional. He made a decision to discover if there was anyone in Saul's family that he could befriend and give kindness to. It was intentional. It was undeserved. There's nothing that Mephibosheth did or could ever do to gain David's favor. Intentional, undeserved. And there was, it was unconditional. There were no conditions set. Mephibosheth had to do this or that. Totally unconditional. Intentional, undeserved, unconditional. And there was no expectation of any return. Someone who was crippled in both feet probably didn't have a whole lot to offer, right? I've been crippled in just one foot for weeks. I can't imagine living life from childhood crippled in both feet. David's kindness, unintentional, unconditional, undeserved, no return. You see, kindness demonstrates a priority for the needs and the happiness of someone else. And as I was reflecting on David's kindness to Mephibosheth, and what a great story this is, the thought that crossed my mind was God's kindness to you and to me is exactly the same. God's love and kindness to you 
was intentional. <laughs> it didn't just happen, right? Isn't it, doesn't it say somewhere in, in this book, chosen in Him before the foundation of the world? God's love for you and for me is totally intentional. And there's nothing I can do to earn it, nothing I can do to deserve it. Mephibosheth was crippled in both feet. You and I came into life on this planet crippled totally. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God demonstrated His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loved me and He loved you even though I was ungrateful and evil. (laughs) God's love, intentional, undeserved, unconditional, expecting no return. Just like David's kindness to Mephibosheth. Oh, kindness. What's the word I left off my list? Oh, David's uh, kindness to Mephibosheth was practical. Met a personal need. How many monetary resources does a guy have crippled in both feet in this culture? David gives him all the property and lands of King Saul. And then extends the invitation, you know, come and eat, come and dine. You know, in that culture, being at the table, eating, was the, the highest form of, of intimacy and relationship. To be at the common table sharing a meal. And David in kindness does that. Practical. Sacrificial. David had to give up some stuff. Aren't you glad God's love for you and me is sacrificial? Yeah. So there's, as, I, as I've reflected on this kindness thing, remember, I tried to avoid this message. Because what? struck me in the midst of all this kindness is there's a verse that doesn't use the word kindness but it kept hammering at the back of my head and uh, Maggie asked me this morning what passage should she read as we began our service and I asked her to read those verses at the beginning of Philippians chapter 2 because this is where I struggle to be kind. Um, This is where my life is challenged with kindness. Because the Apostle Paul says this. Do nothing. I'm in verse 3 of Philippians 2. Do nothing. What does the word nothing mean? Not one thing. Zero zip zilch. Do nothing. From selfishness or empty conceit. But, contrast, instead of behaving out of that selfishness, that empty conceit, with humility of mind, let each regard one another as more important than himself. With humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests. It's okay to pay attention, but not just pay attention to your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. You see, I I have this 
this problem. It's called selfishness. By nature, I, I prefer to receive rather than to give. And Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. By nature, I'm highly concerned about what interests me, what matters to me, what's important to me. That's very high on my agenda, right? And Paul says, do nothing, not one thing, out of selfishness. Not one thing. Humility of mind regard others as more important. And then, to make it worse, (laughs) he says, "Uh, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Why does he say that? Because Jesus is the greatest example of selflessness. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. And Paul goes on to talk about the fact that that Jesus left the glories of heaven. He left his status and position in the throne room of heaven to come to this planet, to invade this planet in the form of a baby. Talk about humility of mind. And so, this whole thing of kindness... We have a kind God. He models kindness for us. We have the commands of kindness. Be kind, be kind. We have this statement in Proverbs, this condition of finding favor with God and men. And then we have this illustration of David, a simple story that reminds me of God's kindness to me, God's love for me, His kindness to you, His love for you. Kindness is prioritizing the needs and happiness of others over my own. And please tell me I'm not the only person in this room that struggles with that. (laughs) Be kind. Just like proving ourselves to be sons of the Most High, daughters of the King of Kings. Because we demonstrate kindness. So, I'm going to beat you up for a minute with the questions I ask myself as I reflect on this passage. How am I doing at loving and practicing kindness? If you were to give yourself a letter grade, A, B, C, D, how come it goes A, B, C, D, F? What happened to E? Um, But if you were to give yourself a letter grade, How did I do this last week in practicing and loving kindness? Prioritizing the needs and happiness of others. Do the words I speak show kindness? I've taken great comfort through the years. I read some time ago that sarcasm is a sign of high intelligence. And I've taken great comfort in that. uh, But sarcasm is seldom kind. Do my words, my humor, do they give kindness? Kindness. 
Am I intentionally seeking to be kind, sacrificially, unconditionally kind, just like my God? And then, as we've been talking about kindness this morning, is there anyone God's brought to your mind that you need to be kind to? Kindness sometimes happens spontaneously. Uh, One of our men was sharing with us this morning as we prayed before our service about an opportunity he had yesterday. Uh, I don't know that great ministry opportunities always happen at the Dollar Tree, but uh, as, as this man was at the Dollar Tree, he noticed a homeless guy with his tent on the sidewalk, and he had a little dog. And so our brother went into the Dollar Tree, brought, bought some dog food for the dog and some food for the man, and brought it out and gave it to him and engaged in conversation. I don't know, that's kind of spontaneous kindness. I don't think he went to Dollar Tree planning to be kind, but spontaneously kind. I wish I was more like that. I really do. Spontaneously kind. But I see kindness also is intentional. Who is it in my life that God is expecting me this week to be kind to, to prioritize that person's needs and happiness? And what is it I can do to demonstrate kindness? We are the beneficiaries of the kindness of the creator of the universe. He loves us with an everlasting love. He is eternally kind. He not only cares about me, but He prioritizes my needs. They matter to Him. And He calls me to prioritize the needs of others around me and to love them with His love and to demonstrate His kindness. That's what God is calling me to do. And I'm glad this message is over and I can move on to something else, right? Lord, we just acknowledge in our heart of hearts that we need to be more kind. Lord, there's just so many challenges in daily life, so many things that uh, work against us. And I'm confident that the evil one is at work to divide and to cause anger and division and all these emotional things that go on. And I'm grateful for the promise that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, kindness. And so, Lord, my prayer for myself, my prayer for my brothers and sisters here, we realize we can't be kind on our own. We can't love people the way you do on our own. We need the empowerment of your Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Lord, help us to love others to love people to Jesus with kindness, that they might see us as being just like our Father in heaven, wonderfully, lovingly kind. Lord, do that in my life. Do that in each of our lives is our prayer together in Jesus' name. Amen.
May you go into your week empowered by God's Holy Spirit to love the way that God loves you. May you experience this week reminders of God's kindness to you. May you understand in a fresh way this week that our God prioritizes your needs. Whatever they are this morning, they're on His agenda, they're His priority. Be it a need physically, a need financially, a need relationally. You have a God who loves you with an everlasting love. He is eternally forever kind. He loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Have a week blessed with His presence, His love, and His kindness.